Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. Well, an extra Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. How you doing? I am all right. I've got a coffee. Uh, I've collected my thoughts on what I saw last night. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get into this. I'm ready to to take umbrage at certain things, be happy about certain things. Um, I, I am glad we didn't get to see too much of Brendan uh, Rogers' teeth. So, you know, I, th- I think I feel okay this morning. How about you? He, he is uh, the most extraordinary looking creature these days, isn't he? Creature. <laughs> <laughs> he honestly looks like he's sort of been, I don't know, hewn from bark or something. His skin's all weird and his teeth don't fit his face anymore. Mm. I think he's gone too far. It's kind of like a, it's like a moralistic tale, isn't it, about the dangers of vanity? Yeah, you know that woman that they always hold up as the the, the person who, um, you know, had too much plastic surgery, and she ended mm. up looking like one of the Thundercats. Yeah, she did very much so. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's going that direction. He's going that direction. But look, we won't dwell too much on Brendan Rodgers. We'll talk about Arsenal. We'll talk about Arsenal one, Leicester one at the Emirates last night. A game in which, in the end, I was quite relieved to come away with a point from. But that relief was immediately tinged by frustration because I felt very strongly that this is a game that we should have won. I think that was an opinion uh, also held by Mikel Arteta, considering the chances that we had in the first half, etc., etc., the circumstances, the red card for Eddie and Kedia will come to in the end. But overall, your feeling on, on the night, I mean, when you are down to 10 men and there's eight minutes of injury time, your mind goes to the dark place. It goes to the dark place. And, and when the dark thing doesn't happen, you're sort of like... Okay. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, from from that point of view, that's, uh, I think, where there's an element of relief. I think so. I mean, I saw a few people after the game saying, I probably would have taken a draw beforehand. But I I don't know if I would have done, given the respective momentum of the two teams. Leicester haven't been the force they were before the lockdown. And Arsenal have been in really good form. So I fancied us in this match. What did we predict? Can you remember? Um, I don't remember. I think you predicted a draw, but maybe... um, Wrong about that. Uh, oh, Let's hang on. Look. I think I've got it here. Um, boom, boom, boom. Leicester. I predicted a win and you predicted a win. Right. So there we go. So I would not mm. take a draw. I felt this was a game, even even way back when I made those predictions that we would win. But like you, when we went down to 10 men, and actually 
before we went down to 10 men. I mean, the whole second half, yeah. we were not so good. The, the, the setting off definitely kind of sealed our fate in some respects, but I was having kind of premonitions that a bad thing mm. might well cometh. But fortunately, <laughs> it didn't. Tell me this. Did you have any issues with the starting lineup? Any surprises um, in terms of the team that Mikel Arteta picked? The only one I can really think of is is Saka from the right-hand side, which slightly raised my eyebrow based on how he struggled a little bit out there in, in the previous game. But maybe it was a big learning curve for him because he, he was an awful lot better uh, last night. Well, you you told me that Nicola Pepe hadn't given birth himself and therefore mm. he would be available to play. But maybe he was more involved than we maybe I was imagined. Wrong. Maybe I'll hold my hands up there. Maybe. He was the surrogate. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I got that one all all wrong. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was I was. Uh, listen, I certainly after everything we've been through in the last few months, people prioritizing family first and things like that. I've got no issue with it, but I was still a little bit disappointed on the on one side of me to not see him play. I was looking forward to it. Um, I was also surprised by Saka, although as we'll come on to, I think the decision was justified to play him mm. in that position. Um, just trying to think. Everything else was pretty much as expected. I I, I was maybe not sure certain that Bellerin would come back in, but mm. of course it makes perfect sense that he did. And I thought he had a better game too. So yeah. no, no real surprises in the lineups. And Leicester had a back three as well that they switched to recently. Which that, Yeah, that was slightly made, a surprise, wasn't it? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, it made it, it an interesting game um because it was sort of yeah it it was meant it was quite light Mm. in the middle of the park and in some ways that suited us because it enabled us to kind of tack down the flanks quite effectively yeah and i think it suited danny sabayas who we'll come on to now in a moment Mm. uh it's worth pointing out that for all the chances and and what have you that we had in the first half there were a couple of moments uh early on from leicester which were dangerous little warning signs if you like and one in particular stood out to me was the fact that we got done again on a short corner i think it was saka who was left two on one i can't see from the footage who exactly should have been out there but you know i i don't know that you know we, we stepped up i think lacazette tried to play offside rather than go out to the to you know to cover the gap and to cover the space and and everything else but that will have been a little bit of a worry for Mikel arteta when you consider what happened against brighton yeah definitely and it felt like leicester almost had looked at that and thought i oh, will have a crack at that and the yeah. fact they were able to do it will have, I'm sure, irritated Arteta because mm. he must have looked at that detail of the Brighton game and looked at it. And there were a couple of uh, other moments at our end. I mean, Ian Acho put one in, didn't he, when he was offside from a Vardy It wasn't offside, it was a foul on Kolasinac. Oh, it was a foul, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I was glad that the referee saw that. It was one of those that gets missed sometimes, you know, where it sort of happens off the ball. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of others. But, I mean, really, the story of the first half was... Arsenal playing as well as they have for quite some time, I thought, going mm. forward, certainly. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there were there was a lot of positives in that first half from an Arsenal point of view in terms of how we played, how we moved the ball, how we used the spaces, how we looked to get behind that Leicester, uh, you know, back three. Um, Soyuncu was a little bit... Um, sluggish I think at times and he had Bellerin he had uh, Saka to deal with and yeah. you know struggled a little bit at times and there was a sort of there was a confidence about the way that we were playing when we got forward as well there was a, that lovely moment when 
Uh, was it a one-two with Bellerin? Saka and Bellerin played a one-two, and Bellerin, you know, nutmegged the guy uh, to feed Saka in through that inside channel. That the, the cross ended up being blocked and what have you. But you know, from a from an attacking point of view, the the intent that we showed um, on both flanks, I think, was really really uh, exciting, and and it did lead to some chances. It did, yeah. And great to see Bellerin getting forward and combining in the final third. Um, Saka was brilliant, but, you know, I can't wait to see him doing that with Pepe. I think that could be really Mm. exciting. Uh, And, you know, you're right. I mean, their centre-halves didn't look massively comfortable in the channels, uh, you know, between the sort of outside centre-half and the wing-back. And we exploited that with Tierney going up the other flank as well. You know, he had a pretty high starting position, was involved a lot going forward. So, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked the shape. And we mentioned the midfield situation suiting Sabayos. I mean, I think his first half uh, was up there with anything he's produced, even, you know, the, the sort of iconic Burnley performance that we look back on now. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I, it's quite noticeable now that Mikel Arteta is talking a lot less to him during the games than he had been previously. So mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, Saka learning from the right, uh, you know, against Wolves. Maybe Ceballos is um, is getting to understand what Arteta wants from him in that position. I think he said after the game that, that defensively, Ceballos has taken uh, a real step forward, which I, you know I think is part of the fundamentals of what Arteta wants from his players, isn't it? Is that awareness, um, you know, the the duty that you have when we don't have the ball uh, is a big part of what he's trying to instill in this team. But what I really liked about Ceballos was some of the some of the adventure that he showed in his play. He'd take the ball in tight areas. There were a couple of really nice turns. There were some good passes. And obviously that pass uh, through to Saka for the uh, for the Aubameyang goal was absolutely, absolutely superb. I don't think he can give uh, enough praise uh, for, for the pass. I mean, we have to give some credit, some credit, of course, a lot of credit to Bakayo Saka for making the run. But Ceballos was able to see it, had the vision and had the execution to play the ball down that inside channel. And, and it led to Aubameyang's goal. Yeah, it was a great pass. I mean, and this is not to compare Ceballos with this player, but it was a Fabregas-style pass. I remember him making that pass several times, uh, you know, in his days at mm. Arsenal. And, and it's funny with Ceballos. I think, you know, with certain signings like Nicola Pepe, I think we're prepared to say he needs time to adapt. He's coming from a foreign country. In a weird way, because Ceballos was signed on a 12-month loan, he doesn't get that time. Mm. He kind of there's an expectation that he has to hit the ground running, despite the fact that he's a relatively young guy coming from La Liga, coming from a really different style of football. Maybe it's only natural that it should take him a period to acclimatise and adjust to to the demands of a new league. The problem is, of course, he's making that adjustment now in July. Uh, technically, his loan should be over. Yeah. So it, it, it sort of raises an interesting question, doesn't it, about where you go from here? Sure. It's a very, yeah, that's a very interesting point. And I think we've got a question about Tobias in part two, so we'll save the wider discussion for that. But it's also worth uh, remembering that Tobias suffered a, a fairly significant injury. He was out mm. for two and a half months. And I think what's really pleasing about what we're seeing from Ceballos now is that we looked at him and we thought, okay, this guy isn't really what we were expecting. But Arteta challenged him and challenged him publicly, didn't he, to... Mm. 
to sort of get on board with what he was doing, with what he wanted to do. And, and um, you know, there was talk about him leaving in January and it was fairly serious talk. And, and that was something that was given consideration to by by all parties, the player, by Arsenal, by Real Madrid and by some suitors as well. But he decided to stay, he decided to stick it out. I think Arteta said he trained like an animal were the words that he used. And um, you have to really give some credit to, to a player who's willing to apply himself in that way to a club where he doesn't know if he's going to be here next season or not, whether, you know, whether he's playing for a, a, another loan move at Arsenal, another season at Arsenal, we don't know. But that commitment to what Arteta is trying to do and to the team, I think is really, um, really positive, particularly when there are players right now who are deliberately excluding themselves from selection by their own behaviour. I think what Ceballos is showing in, in the last few weeks is, is very uh, commendable. That's a really good point. And for a player who, who's on loan, as you say, doesn't know where his future lies, could very easily be sort of mentally checking out mm. at this stage of his contract with the club. You know, since the January transfer window closed, his focus has been pretty clear and his determination has been really clear. And, you know, given that he's not contractually committed to the cause, I think you can see... He is committed to the cause and he loves his football. He loves being out there. He celebrates every goal like a madman, whether he's involved or not. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying watching him and, and seeing this little partnership with, with Shaka develop. And Arteta mm. gave it a shout out after the game. O- on the goal, brilliant ball from Ceballos and really excellent play from Saka, isn't it? On that right-hand side where you sort of wonder, is he going to be able to go outside there onto his right foot? And he just... Stops, leaves Johnny Evans. I mean, probably still lying there on the ground, presumably. <laughs> and a, a perfect pass for Aubameyang. It's funny, we scored those brilliant team goals against Leicester last season, mm. where there were a couple of goal, balls across the goal um, for Aubameyang to score. And this was, you know, almost of that calibre, I thought. Yeah, it was a great goal. I think it was a really nice move and it really seemed to to invigorate the team. Aubameyang uh, got down the left. I think uh, he tried to cross for Saka and it was Soyuncu who cleared over the bar. Yeah. Uh, Saka created a good chance for Lacazette. Um, it was an interesting little move that I think had he gone over in the tackle in the box, I think we would have had a penalty, but he stayed in his feet, created a chance. Lacazette, you know, a strong, well, yeah, strong shot, but a good save from Schmeichel. Um, Schmeichel save from Bellerin, Saka with a chance created by Lacazette. Um, and then we, the I think- save from Bellerin is great, by the way, as well. I think, I mean, I, yeah. I think if I don't know what Hector knew about that I don't know if he do you think that was deliberate from him I have a I have a slight feeling it was a miss hit cross mm. rather than an attempt on goal I think if he'd been trying to score he might have gone low at the near post if he goes low he scores yeah, I think exactly I'm not quite sure maybe it was one of those there that, that he was sort of caught in two minds I think he, it was that yeah yeah. he saw it at the last minute yeah. I think yeah it was a little bit unlucky because you know had the goalkeeper taken another step or half a step I, I'm not sure he would have got there but you know it was good pressure from Arsenal and it was good it was good play and Bellerin of course created what I think was uh, the best chance of them all mm which was for Lacazette, he took the ball infield. It was a beautiful uh, cross over the over the top of the defence, fio- uh, floated perfectly for Lacazette. And I think, I really think that's a bad, bad miss. I think it's a bad miss for yeah, a player Alan of his Smith experience. Commentary yeah, too. he said straight away, oh, big chance. I, I, I think that cross, by the way, 
is about the best thing I've seen from Exabellerin mm. this season. I mean, it was a really outstanding pass. And I couldn't really believe my eyes because Lacazette has had such a similar chance from a Ceballos pass, didn't he, in the last home game? Yeah, uh, that's right, yeah. It, and he, he, that one went straight at the keeper. This time he kind of went far top corner, but he, he had to head it down, didn't he? Of course. It's the, you know, it's what you're taught as, uh, as a kid when you're in that sort of position, head the ball down because the goalkeeper, you know, he can't get down quickly enough. It was quite close to goal as well. And I think when you just head it straight at, at head height, it's very easy for a goalkeeper of, uh, of, of Premier League Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, it is a bad miss. And I was looking at that thinking, uh oh, uh oh, I hope we don't learn or live to regret that. Um, yeah. You know, there's another said, chance yeah. where Saka on his right foot. Yeah, that's that the one, one that Lacazette set up for him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Arteta said afterwards, we've got to bury them. We've got to put these chances away. Kill said, them. I think kill, kill them, them is sorry. what he said. Yeah. Kill them before you bury them, of yeah, course. The, of the course. traditional fashion. <laughs> I, I do think that the Lacazette header is the only one where I was like, you've got to score. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I thought there were other situations where we were in dangerous positions, but that was the one that I looked at and was like, e, mm, we will regret that one. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that was the, the best of the chances. I yeah. do think that the Saka one as well was, you know, if that had fallen on his left foot rather than his right foot, I think the yeah, position that he was in, you would you would want him to do better there. Um, mm. And it's not to be critical of Saka. It seems churlish to be critical of an 18-year-old who's playing so well and made such a big contribution in the game. But it was a very good chance. But the Lacazette was the one, Lacazette, you know, that, that was one where I just thought, oh, fuck, fuck. You know, if you go in 2-0, you've got that nice cushion. Um, and as it turned out, I think we did live to regret that that missed chance. Uh, and it's not to, you know, uh, slaughter Lacazette or anything like it, but I, I just feel, you know, an experienced striker um, has got to score from there. They've just got to score um, or at least make the goalkeeper make a save, you know, rather than mm. make it easy for him. And I mean, it's tricky for Lacazette because, in some ways, I thought he had a much better all-round game than he has done recently. Did, um, can I ask you a question about him, though? Yeah. How do you think he's moving? Because he looks to me like a guy who isn't—I don't know whether he's just got heavy legs or he's not quite fit. It just seems like everything takes him a half a touch or a touch longer than it should. Uh, look, if it came out at the end of the season, oh, Lacazette's off to have some procedure done, you wouldn't be at all surprised, would you? Because mm. I do think the speed of his seeming decline is very dramatic. You know, I, I think I think it's been forgotten that last season, even if his goals tally wasn't what we hoped necessarily, he, he was a pretty effective player in a lot of situations. I mean, he was literally voted player of the season. And the goal, well, I mean, the goals that he scored, some, well, not all the goals, but a lot of the goals that he scored last season were, were um, based on quick movement in the box, a quick turn in the box, a quick yeah, shot. Yeah. And we haven't seen anything like that from him this season. Yeah, and, and I think people do often underestimate with strikers how important confidence is. Like, it, it can be absolutely massive to a player. Mm. But, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some physical issues too. And, of course, physical decline happens, and maybe that's part of it. But, it, like I say, it is a very dramatic 
change and that just makes me wonder what's going on there uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll never know but it's an interesting question i agree with you he's not moving as sharply as he was i'm not talking about speed over the ground that's never been his no his strength necessarily but it's the fluidity of moment and the, the ability to turn uh, sharply that has that has gone. Mm. So we're into the second half, and uh, you know we had a, a chance. I think David Luiz had a free kick, um, which didn't go in. Which I think uh, is pretty much what you expect from a David Luiz free kick. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I mean uh, there is the law of averages that you know sooner or later he's got to get one in. But I, I don't feel particularly confident when he's standing over the ball. I I loved. I can't remember who it was. Was it Redknapp or? somebody last week who was it I can't remember he took a free kick and they were talking about the technique and they said you know he mm. makes it he makes it look like he, he sort of looks like he side foots it and mm. I was looking at it going yeah that's exactly what he's doing <laughs> but as, you know that's exactly what he's not some fucking magic trick guy yeah, it feels like whatever David Luiz is trying to do from free kicks at the moment isn't really happening. Like, if he's trying to do that sort of slightly punty, wobbly shot, mm. it's not coming off. I mean, he's basically just side-footing them straight at the keeper at the moment, yeah. wide or over. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't... I'm not filled with loads of confidence, but I will be... Hopefully, the fans are back in the stadium by the time he scores one. I'd say the chances are they will be. <laughs> He'll probably be retired by the in time. In 2025. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Okay, well, look, uh, Leicester, I think, were, uh, you know, better in the second half. They had a lot more of the ball, and... Um, I don't know if it was because of the, the, the game state, if you like, that we're 1-0 up and we don't have to go chasing per se. I just wondered if in that circumstance we might have been a little bit braver in terms of what we did um, with our changes. It, it took a while for Mikel Arteta to make any changes. It was 75 minutes, I think, before he made mm. the first one. And given the fact that we were sitting and soaking up uh, pressure from Leicester. Maybe that's not exactly what we wanted to do, but that's what was happening. I wonder if putting Pepe on for Lacazette, moving Aubameyang central, Saka to the left, might have been a braver way to to approach that second half. I mean, we've talked about Arteta's substitutions in the last couple of games, and we've said they've been very good, they've been very effective, they've helped win us the games, mm. uh, and, and all the credit is due there. I just wonder if this time he was found a little bit wanting. I wonder as well if, you know, this is our second game in three days, and he's thinking half an eye anyway on the North London derby on Sunday and, and getting players, getting some rest into their legs. Um, it just felt like we didn't quite address the momentum that Leicester had. Maybe, yeah. I mean... And it's hard to I, judge. I, Sorry, just it is hard to judge how effective the substitutions might have been because obviously Enkedia got sent off within a couple of minutes. That's it, that's it. And, and, and Pepe is, you know, the one who you'd look at and say, would he have been a good sub? I mean... As far as I'm aware, he didn't train before the game, which mm. might, may have played into Artessa's decision-making as well. And Willock's been really good sort of coming on in that kind of counter-attacking role. Yeah. Um, so I, I do. I thought they came a bit late, the changes. That was my main thing. I know Joe Willock was sort of stripped and ready to come on about four minutes before that. But Leicester were on top 
the entirety of the second half, really. Mm. And I was quite surprised by some of the changes they made. They took Iheanacho off, for example, who who was looking relatively dangerous. Um, but yeah, I, I I have a bit of sympathy with Arteta because the changes that he made were obviously completely undone straight away by yeah. by the sending off. Okay, what what's your thought on the the sending off? Is it a red card? Is it not a red card? Is it harsh? Is it you know read by the letter of the law? What what's your thinking on it? My thinking is it's unlucky for Inketia, but it is a red card. Right. What do you think? I thought it was unlucky too. Um, maybe a little bit harsh, but uh, you know what? What we saw was them playing replay after replay after replay of studs hitting the opponent's knee, the outside mm. of his knee, and it was split second stuff. But it sort of reminded me a little bit of the Aubameyang red card. Was it against Crystal Palace, where mm. you know he was going for the ball, he missed it by split second and his foot lands on the ankle of I think it was Max Meyer was it and and you have that horrific image uh, which makes it look like a worse challenge than it actually was and I think the replays um, made it clear that they were going to to send him off you know and it's it's the it's the thing that I look at you know when I look at red cards that happen to us I think would I be screaming for a red card if that challenge went in on one of the Arsenal players and it was sort of in that ballpark for me I'm sure you would I'm sure mm. you would Having done, I've done this podcast long enough <laughs> to be sure that you would be I mean I have to say in real time I thought it was a bad challenge as well mm. like it, it, it's it's a little bit unfortunate because it's partly the way the guy turns into the challenge. Do you know what I mean? That it's yeah. sort of, it's a coming together of the knee and the foot. But And I really do feel for Nketiah because you know what Arteta's instructions to him will have been, you know, mm. get out there. I think he said after the game last week, I like to make a nuisance of myself. He's always closing down, chasing into challenges. And three games he could miss now. I mean, that mm. that's a heavy punishment, isn't it, at this stage of the season? It is. I mean, there is the possibility of an appeal because appeal. I think it's a yellow card that became a red card. So we'll wait and see what they do. Um, this leads us on to the Jamie Vardy incident at the end of the first half. Yeah, um, yeah. And Mikel Arteta was, he seemed quite angry. I'm sure he was angry at conceding a late goal and everything else, but basically was saying, look, if Nketi has a red card, then so is Vardy. And I have to say, I looked at it in real time when it happened and I thought, oh, well, that's just a bit of an accident. It's one of those where a player, you know, two players are competing, they fall awkwardly, it's a wet night, he slips, whatever it might be, it, it was purely accidental. And then I watched the replays and I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. In the sense of, like, I can't be 100% sure that he meant to do it, but I am 100% sure that it was not 100% accidental. Yeah, I, I have watched it as well. I don't really know, given the direction he's falling, like, his legs are going to move. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm. he's sort of almost rolling. But he does have a look. And which, then kind of throws the leg out. Yeah, yeah, I'm and not it sure. Is, it is... It's it the is, same, though. It is Jamie Vardy as well. I mean, should we be giving sure, him yeah. any benefit of the doubt? Yeah, he he tried to kill him. He tried to murder a man in cold blood. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? It, it's not like there isn't a little bit of... of, of um, you know, he's, he's a sly fucker. 
He is a you yeah. know he's a very experienced player. He knows what he can get away with and what he can't get away with for the most part. You know, we can't say conclusively that he meant to do what he did, but I think uh, my gut feeling tells me that he he threw his leg out deliberately there. Well, the thing is, I'm not sure, but I do think that Eddie and Ketcher didn't mean to hurt the guy no. he went to, didn't mean to catch the guy yeah. even. Um, and therefore, if his challenge is dangerous and thus a red card, sort of by the extension of that logic, I think Vardy's maybe is too. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to whether or not it's reckless, I suppose. Um but yeah, I think it's a really good point Arteta makes. When he made it, I was like, I wasn't sure what he was talking about. I'd completely forgotten uh, what happened in the first half. There's some good pictures from uh, David Price today with yeah. Staffy with a couple of bullet wounds in his head, essentially from yeah. the studs. And uh, yeah, I mean, if if VAR is going to interfere on things like the Enketia thing, I think it should do on things like Mustafi thing more than anything. I'm pleased to see Arteta sort of go into bat for Arsenal in that situation. Yeah, you know, we had that's a, his job. We had a question, actually, and I'll, I'll do it now, seeing as we're talking about it. It comes from Highbury Days, who's at Highbury Days underscore on Twitter. He says, what do you think about Arteta's comments on the referee and VAR? I think he did the right thing by putting pressure on them. Arsenal have been taken for a small club for years now, and it's about time Arteta started being a bit of a prick towards them, um, which, you know, I, I get what he's... I get what he's saying there, you know. Um, I'm not saying that Arteta is a prick, but but certainly, you know, I, I'm looking at the uh, the FA website here, right? And it's the FA Fair Play table, and Liverpool are top of the FA Fair Play table, and Arsenal are bottom by a long, long way. Um, we have 358 disciplinary points, and Bournemouth, who are 19th in that table, have 314. Liverpool are top of the table, 166, by the way. So, you know, this is... Um, it's quite funny, because I don't think we are a dirty team in any way, but we have more bookings than any other team in the Premier League this season. We have the same amount of sendings off as Watford, Man City, Southampton. Arteta is aware that this is a bit of an issue because he said, look, this is the fourth time that we've gone down to 10 men since I took over. We have to improve that. But I do wonder if there is an element of, of Arsenal being seen as kind of a soft touch, an easy team or an easy club to give decisions against. You know, and, yeah, and, and, I, think, and I, think, I think that's true. Yeah. I do think that's true. I think a lot of the bookings, I mentioned this the other week, are down to our sort of newfound love of the tactical foul. And I have to say, Alex Lacazette's tactical foul in the first half was one of the best things I've seen from him in a while. I don't know if you remember it. I do, but I, can I just cut across here? There were tactical fouls committed by Leicester City as well. There was one, I think it was Evans, went through the back of Lacazette, who sort of stood on his ankle, and the guy yeah, was playing right centre half for Leicester was it Bennett I think um, yeah. a couple of times completely blocked off there was one in particular with Tierney where he just literally obstructed him a perfectly um, cromulent cynical uh, tactical foul all well and good I mean I see how those things are, are, are useful for teams but why are they yellow cards when we do it and it's not a yellow card when that guy does it? That's that's the sort of stuff that, that gets fans a little bit irate. You know, if there's consistency in the decision-making there, I mean, by by the letter of the law, that foul on Tierney should have been a yellow card. Leicester get away with it. 
Arsenal, when we make those fouls, do not get away with it. And this is where I think um, Highbury Days, is it? Uh, Highbury Days has a really good point that unless we start addressing that particular issue, referees will just continue to give those yellow cards and give those red cards. Whereas if they've got a little bit of doubt in their mind or if they if they feel like they might get challenged a little bit, maybe it has an impact on their decision making. Yeah, I think, you know, a manager putting pressure on referees. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson did it so successfully, didn't he, for Manchester United? I mean, he created a huge uh, advantage by doing that. But I think that there is a perception around Arsenal that maybe makes it easier for referees to give decisions against them or or not give decisions Mm. in their favour. For example, the perception that Arsenal are soft, right? So if a player goes to ground under a challenge, it's like, oh, well, that's an Arsenal player on the ground on the floor. And, you know, we we have to change that. And the best way to change it is through our performances and what we do with the team. But if Arteta's going to speak out and and play his part, I am absolutely all for that. I think... You know, it's part of the job description. If you're going to be a top Premier League manager, controlling the referees is part of it. It's yeah, absolutely part of it. And it's not like blaming the officials for for what we do on the pitch or saying, you know, making excuses. Because some people will say, well, that's just making excuses. You're deflecting, you're doing this, you know, you're taking away from the, the issues that you have. That's not why you didn't win the game, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, you know, that's fair enough. But I do think it is, I think I'm with you, it is part of what a manager needs to do. Uh, in the modern game is is be um, strong and stand up for his team and to try in as many ways as he possibly can to influence uh, things in a positive way for his team when they take to the pitch. And this is everyone this else is, is going to do it. Exactly. Everyone else is going exactly. to do it. Exactly. So we've got to play that game too. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is uh, this is not to be critical of Unai Emery or anything like it, but this is where this is where communication. And the ability to to speak a language properly has a big part. Because if Emery had come out with something like that, people would be saying, listen to this cunt. You know what I mean? This is him sort of half hours going around this this particular issue. Whereas, uh, you know, Arteta can be very clear about it. I think he was very clear about it last night, and I'm happy for it. Yeah, I agree. And actually, Emery was also always a bit reluctant to do it. And in some ways, I, I... he had a bit of admiration for that because, you know, he, ne- he never really put it on the officials. But um, like we say, it's part of the job description, I mm. think. And Arteta can be so cold and to the point when he wants to be. And I mm. thought he was great in his post-match interview. Yeah, I was watching the post-match interview and I was a bit like, ooh, Mufasa. A little <laughs> bit. <laughs> you know, yeah. there was a little bit of like, ooh, he's got he's got some steel to him when his, when his dander is up, you know. Mm. Uh, so I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing that. And I enjoyed the fact that he didn't hide, you know, his, his um, unhappiness with what his team did on the pitch as well. You know, he can be pissed off about the red card and the red card incidents but he was also very clear that it was up to his team to take their chances and and score the goals that they should have scored in that first half let's very briefly just touch on their equalizer before uh, we go into part two and take some questions um it felt like a tired goal to concede um we were sitting quite deep and when you look back on it i think there are a number of players who could who could just do a tiny bit better. I don't think there was any glaring mistake from any one individual, but when you look at it, I think Xhaka was maybe beaten a bit too easily. Kalasinac sort of turned his back on the cross. Mustafi, who has been very good, and I'm not being critical of him here, is maybe just a little bit sharper to read the game. The ball traveled a, uh, traveled a long way through our box to get mm. to Vardy. So 
it just felt maybe like the 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 physical effects of the last number of weeks um played a part in in that goal and of course being down to 10 men yeah and in fairness to Mustafi I mean no one's played more minutes than him Mm. and Vardy is so sharp in that part of the pitch it's a it's a really good cross as well uh that's into a very dangerous area but I mean it was coming, wasn't it? And, mm. and sort of it was one of those you were like, ah, there it is. You know, <laughs> Emmy Martinez is beatable, uh, despite <laughs> a very good performance again. And uh, yeah, I mean, all the VAR nonsense that followed. I mean, it, listen, everyone knows, I think, what I think about VAR. I think mm. it's bollocks and I would get rid of it. But um, I think on a technical level, I mean, what did you think? Do you think that's offside? No. No. I don't think so. I mean, there was nothing conclusive where you could say, yes, absolutely, he's offside, his foot is offside. Like, there was no, there was nothing there that made me think we'd been particularly hard done by. I don't really know why it took as long as it did. Uh, I think, I think they were it's looking because for the- if he. If he touches the ball at the near post, the other dude, Perez, isn't yeah. it? Th- then, then it creates a new phase and Vardy becomes offside. But, I mean, how can you say if he touched it or not? It's impossible, really. I yeah, think. I mean, I think you can say he touched it if it's clear that he touched it. It's absolutely not clear whether he touched it or not. I don't think he did. I watched the replays as much as anyone else. and I, I <laughs> We all watched it many, many times. Many times, hoping and praying, of course, that VAR would come down on our side. But, um, you know, it didn't. And I think you're right. The goal had been coming. And that's why I, I, I went into those final 10 minutes or so with injury time with such trepidation. Because, mm. you know, when you concede like that, when you're on the back foot, when you're defending, when you're trying to... Um, you're trying to hold out against 11 men and Leicester are a good side as we've seen this season and they are where they are on the table for, uh, you know, it's not a fluke that they are where they are. Um, That's why there was such trepidation and ultimately why there was relief at the final whistle. Yeah, there was. And, you know, we we did okay in those final few minutes. We did what we needed to do. Um, And it's a strange sort of result in a way because... You were felt relieved, but simultaneously quite frustrated. Mm. Yeah, and just before we go into part two, I think the, the the main takeaway that I would have from this game is, or the main positive certainly that I would take from this game is the fact that we created those chances in the first half, is the fact that we were able to play the way that we played in the first half, that we can come away you know, from that f- first 45 minutes with regret because some of the football that we played was really, really nice. Uh, Again, you know, against a good team um, uh, to be able to create those chances. We were profligate. Unfortunately, it came back to bite us. But uh, I think as we're building, as we're rebuilding, as we're looking for positives, things to build on, that first 45 minutes was was definitely uh, something we can be really happy with. Yeah, and I also think it, we might just be starting to run out of legs, potentially. You know, I, I, in that second half, I sort of looked at us and thought, I don't know if we've got another gear here. And maybe it would have been different had we had the subs, you know, mm. worked out like planned and we'd not gone down to 10 men. But with 10 men, it, we were sort of physically stretched. And yeah, look, I mean, we come away with the draw. And uh, what does it change for us, really? I mean, we're now... I suppose I suppose hopes of sort of fifth place are yeah. significantly slimmer, aren't they? 
They are. When you look at the table, I think we would have been, what, three points behind Manchester United or two points behind mm. Manchester United? What would have been? Um, three. Three. And look, you know, they have a game in hand anyway. We've only got four games left and there's a North London derby. There's a game against Liverpool as well. So, you know, uh, I think... Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating to, to drop those two points, but in the circumstances um, and the context of the game, you have to sort of reshape your your thinking. Um, so look, okay, let's leave it there for that. We are going to take a small break. We will be back with your questions in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And uh, ahead of the North London Derby on Sunday, James, I've got some very... Very disheartening news, unfortunately, oh. to kick off part two of the show. Um, Eric Dyer has been suspended for four games with immediate effect and fined £40,000 and warned as to his future conduct for climbing into the crowd and having a pop at some uh, spectators. So that's bad news are from you, an Are you sure we can't appeal? Yeah. Can we appeal that he's still available for Sunday? Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> let's take a question on the uh, North London Derby because with Eddie and Kedia suspended, uh, mm. Zach Taze on the Discord wants to know what would your front three for the North London Derby be? I'd personally love to see Aubameyang down the middle, Saka on the left, and Pepe on the right. Mm, I think that's what I would go with as well. I think. I mean, Arteta's so wedded to the idea of either Lacazette or Nketiah at centre-forward that I I do have a hunch that that's what it will be, and it will be Saka as a a left wing back maybe with Aubameyang to the left Pepe to the right but if you're asking just my opinion I think I would go Saka Aubameyang Pepe yeah Mm. what about you I'd be really tempted by that really really tempted by that 
You know, I think um, Aubameyang down the middle. He, he was asked about it afterwards, wasn't he? Um, mm. Arteta, I can't remember exactly what he said. He didn't, he didn't seem really get into it. Didn't really. He said it's something they'll they'll think about and and what have you. But uh, what did he say? Um, boom, 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 boom. Playing Aubameyang through the center. Um, I'll look at the options that we have up front now and see how we can be a little bit diverse and have different options. But obviously we wait and see if the suspension for Eddie, how long it is, and we will adapt. Um, Because I think if Nketiah is available, he would start on Sunday. I think, well, I mean, I think that was the plan, yeah, to play Lacazette tonight in a home game or last night in a home game and then use Nketiah and use his his, um, fresher, quicker legs in the derby. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, it comes at a really tricky time. I mean, I think they're going to have to play Aubameyang through the middle at some point in the next week and a half or whatever it is, because I just don't think Lacazette can play the Spurs game, the Liverpool game and the Man City game. I don't think he looks like he's got it in him. No, I mean, he... he, he Arteta wants a lot of work, doesn't he, from the player in that position? He wants a lot yeah. of running, a lot of pressing, a lot of chasing and harrying. And it doesn't, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Lacazette is really uh, capable of playing that many games. So the only other option we have is is Aubameyang. We do have other options in the wide positions. So we can play Saka on the left and put Aubameyang uh, through the middle. We can play Pepe on the right, you know, so... Uh, I don't yeah, see them. I don't see them like dipping down into the into the the academy. The, the kids. Well, no. Balogun's leaving anyway. He'd be the obvious one, mm. and I don't necessarily see them giving him game time, given what's gone on there. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, what are your other options through the middle? I mean, Pepe through the middle is an option potentially. Um, It'd just be a bit of a kick in Aubameyang's teeth, wouldn't it? That like, if you're playing... Uh, oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah, of if course. You're, if you're playing Pepe through the middle and you're not giving this, I guess, world-class centre-forward a, a game at centre-forward, which is where he wants to play. I mean, he's doing a job for the team and Arteta was very clear about, you know, what a team player he is and how willing he is to work and everything else. And there's there's some method to the madness, if, if you want to call it that, in terms of playing him on the left-hand side. But if there's a big gap there and then you choose somebody else... I'm not sure how well that would go down. I think it has to be that front three, thinking about it. Because away from home, we know Lacazette has his problems anyway. If you, you can use Lacazette in the home game against Liverpool in a week's time when he's had a bit more rest. And I think, you know, you can go with Aubameyang and Pepe either side, maybe in that one. Mm. But but Spurs away, yeah, let's go Saka left, Pepe right, Aubameyang through the middle. I mean, that gives you three potential goal scorers in your team as well which is something we desperately need at the moment um, yeah that would be my choice for sure mm, okay and it's interesting isn't it I mean I don't think Arteta would ever have done it by choice really I don't think it's what he thinks is the right setup for the team but I think it slightly forces his hand at the moment what do you think um, the problem might be there because we saw Bamiyang take some central positions yesterday and there was one, was it, I don't know if it was a goal kick by Martinez or if it was a a long ball from David Luiz straight down the middle and Aubameyang chased it down. I think, I think it could have been the one where he backheeled it to Saka. Saka got a bit of luck and got into the box. I think that could have been the chance, one of the chances for Lacazette. 
Mm. Um, we've seen Aubameyang close down the goalkeeper to great effect in the Norwich game, where he got mm. a goal out of it. I mean, what do you think he feels Aubameyang is lacking? Or is it just the fact that Aubameyang is so good, he can play for, from the left, and we can get another goal scorer on the pitch in, in the centre-forward position? It's kind of that, and I also think it's cut. I think it's sort of kind of moot. Like, Aubameyang is still... I mean, look at the goal he scored last night, for example. Like, mm. he's still taking up great goal-scoring positions and, you know, some of the top goal-scorers in this league, Mane, Salah, etc., are, are playing from wide areas. Uh, if you look at the centre-forward role in Arteta's system, it involves a lot of shuttle runs on the halfway line. Mm. And if we play Aubameyang through the middle and he's asked to do that, people will say, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't what we wanted. I actually think playing for the left grants him greater opportunities in some respects, but I know not everyone sees it that way. Mm. Um, I, I just think that he's got a specific role in mind for what he wants from his centre-forward and that Aubameyang, he feels, is better suited to, to the left side. But I, I don't doubt he could do it. I don't doubt he could do it. And I mm. don't doubt that um, it's the best option for now. But I, it, it's it's an interesting question, isn't it? Like, if Lacazette isn't Arteta's ideal centre-forward, sort of is Nketiah, and if not, what is his ideal centre-forward? I think that's something, well, something we might find out this summer. Yeah, for sure. Okay, your question. Uh, okay, so let's have a look at this one. Well, well Danny Sabas was very good last night. We had a lot of variations on this. Kajav Kapoor on Twitter said, what would be your ceiling to pay Madrid for Sabayos? And he says, if it's between 20 to 25 million, I'd take it. A midfielder of his age and ability elsewhere could easily cost 40 million plus. Mm, I don't know. Genuinely, I don't know what the right um, price is for Ceballos. Right. Um, because I don't know what the market is going to be like yet. I don't think the market is going to be quite as different as we thought it was. Maybe it will when, when things open up properly. But some of the deals that we've seen um, going through or being agreed now don't really indicate that the arse is going to fall completely out of the, the transfer market. Um, I mean, we had a question, I think, from Berner on the um, Discord. He says, do you think it's time to start giving real consideration at trying to keep Ceballos? Uh, I, I thought Arteta's comment afterwards was quite interesting um, when he talked about Ceballos and he talked about the possibility of him staying. And what did he say? Uh, shit. Um, just uh, fill the gap here, James, while I Google frantically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, well, I, I remember making the case, actually, earlier this season, before the economy imploded, mm. um, that there might be an argument. This was very early on in the season when Sebastian was in a good run of form, that there was an argument for sort of buying him at, a re at his relatively high price of sort of 35 to 40 million because at his age and with his quality and with his probable suitors back in Spain, Mm. you know there was a decent chance that you would recoup that at some point I think if you're able to get in for significantly less than that I think it's a smart deal I think it's a deal where you have a very good chance of turning a profit on a player actually if you could get in for 20 million and who knows because it's very difficult for us to pin down the exact parameters of the, what the chance market is going to be like 
I think you could probably flip him at some point for more money than that. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, uh, the, the ideal, of course, would be that he continues to develop. He is still good, only 23 course, yeah. and be a good player for Arsenal. But what, what um, Arteta said in relation to a question about keeping Sabayas, he said, I'm really happy with him. I think it's something the club has got to go a little bit further with Real Madrid on. So do you feel Interesting. like he's kind of, you know, again, just applying a little bit of pressure to those upstairs if his desire is to keep Ceballos, whether it's on loan for another season or to make the deal permanent, he's sort of suggesting to, to Raul and Edu, etc., etc., that they need to do a bit more. Just putting two and two together, I mean, I think quite a plausible deal here is that Arsenal take him on loan again, but with a, a healthy option. loan fee yeah. and an option. Yeah. So that they put a basic down payment on him and, you know, secure an option for, for what they might buy him for permanently down the line. And I don't think many people would question that. I mean, mm. if you think of what we paid for Lucas Torreira, for example, about £30 million Euros or something like that. Yeah, you know, you'd have to say that Sabias, you know, should be in around that bracket, really. Um, and I think if Arteta really likes him, I mean, basically, my rule with players is if the if the current manager really wants them, let's get them, um, because I I think he's got good judgment. Yeah, and I'll go back to what I said in the in the first half of the show, which is that you know Sabias has really knuckled down. He's he's shown the kind of commitment that that you know you could you could start to depend on. I think what Arteta is looking for first and foremost are players that he can depend on, you know, that he can mm. trust in. Um, and Sabias has gone some way to to building that with Arteta. And we had another question on the uh, Discord from Ansel, who says, "Could Genduzi be used in a swap deal with Real Madrid for Sabias?" And I'm just thinking, why would Real Madrid want Ginduzi? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there is talent there, but whether or not Zidane would want to deal with someone like him, I really don't know. Uh, but, I mean, certainly he's a chip that you might try and use. Uh, and I think from Arsenal's perspective, I mean, Savas was playing in a way yesterday doing things that I don't think Ginduzi can do. Correct. And that's... That's my assessment. You know, Ganduzi is a really promising player, but I don't think he's got that pass in his locker. No, well, I mean, he's played 82 games for Arsenal. He's got a couple of assists. I mean, there was one very, very good pass for Aubameyang in the uh, Spurs. Yeah, Spurs game, yeah. And and that's that's the one that that really stands out to me. But But I don't think... The one... Yeah, I don't think he, he produces it. And that, that's not revisionism on my part. Like, I've, you know, I, I, I'm not impressed by Ganduzi's conduct of late, but I've always felt that he's a good all-round player, but not someone who's necessarily a specialist in, in anything. And and Sabas, some of those passes he produced yesterday, there was one cross-field, wasn't there, out to yeah. Tierney? Yeah. That was like, whoa, that was a confident player doing that. And uh, it was quite exciting. So... Yeah, I'm very, I'm sort of coming around to the idea that we keep him, which I would not have believed, you know, maybe midway through this season. If we can find a way to do it that's financially viable and sensible and, and Arteta likes him in there, then by all means. I yeah. still think there's, in the longer term, you know, we're talking about a partnership between Shaka and Ceballos. I sort of kind of sense that in my ideal setup for this Arsenal team, there's probably a third central midfielder there. Mm. Um, and maybe it's Saka. I don't know. 
but uh, maybe it's Thomas Party. But yeah, I'm I, I I like what I've seen from Sparse, and I like what I've seen from his character. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's have another question, shall we? Just hang on one sec. I think there might be somebody at the door. Just bear with me one sec. Okay. Okay. Any excuse for the music, I guess. Sorry about that. I'm back. I am back. Um, uh, what were we doing? You were about to ask a question. Yeah, this is from the Discord. It's from Juran. And they say, seven games into the five substitutions rule. What are your thoughts on it so far? Would you agree with IFAB's decision to push it on for another season? I feel that we're definitely one of the teams who benefit from this change, especially with a crowd of youngsters fighting to get some game time. I've quite liked it. I've quite mm. liked it, but I... I haven't really noticed it, if that's the right word, from an opposition point of view. But I'm watching the games now wondering, what are we thinking in terms of how we're going to use these five substitutes? And how are we going to use them? And how might they impact the game? I know there are concerns and probably legitimate concerns about this being a rule that benefits the bigger teams, those with yeah. deeper squads and, and what have you. And I do understand that. Um, but I I like it. I quite like it. You know, the, the fact is, you're not making any more changes or stoppages in the game, I should say. It's still the same number of stoppages. Um, so you have to be maybe a little bit more creative with your substitutions because you've got to use a double or a triple sub, you know, uh, in one of them. So um, I think I, the drinks break is sort of more damaging to the flow of the game. I, have to say. I don't understand the drinks break in the Premier League. Playing football in Spain in July... Where you know when they never play because it's summer, it's high summer there, and the temperatures get ridiculously hot. Particularly if you're playing games in the daytime, I fully understand the need to have a drinks break and to let players rehydrate. Yeah. I do not understand why there's a drinks break twenty minutes into the first half of a game taking place in London, where it is pissing rain and it's. 14 degrees and nobody's in any danger of ending up dehydrated i think that's that's uh that's i'd have more issue with that than with the subs yeah it is i mean it was cold here the other day it's like november or something yeah it's been absolutely Um, shit here too so the drinks break i think is problematic and i do think slows things down substantially um, so yeah, I would tend to agree. I, the five subs thing, I do see. I mean, Michael Cox has made a big case against it. He feels it really benefits the the big teams, right? I, I think it benefits us. So subjectively, biasedly, I quite like it. Yeah, I mean, it gives us a chance to play some of the younger players as well, or give them some game time. So, I mean, I think. There's an element of of it benefiting a club from a developmental point of view as well. Some players are getting minutes that they might not ordinarily get. So. Yeah, and I have to say, sort of the, the, the selection of seven substitutes, 
I think had sort of reached a point of kind of feeling a bit absurd given the size that squads were generally bigger than that. Mm. It seemed very harsh that it was like, oh, Callum Chambers, you're not in the squad today. Do you know what I mean? I, sort yeah. of, I like that everyone's included in the match day experience. I think that probably does engender a bit of a better spirit among the players. You know, the sense that like, well, I genuinely might be involved on Saturday. Um, I might even play, even if I'm not the first 11 or even the first 15. Uh, so... As an Arsenal fan, I'm quite happy to see it stay. But I don't think we know enough about it yet. I feel like managers are still sort of figuring it out. Yeah. OK, we'll see what happens. It is going to be continued into next season, apparently. Um, it's yeah. expected to be ratified in the next couple of days. Um, and we'll see long term. We did it's, say yeah. we don't think it will go away. I think we said that when it was introduced. Yeah. I think it is one of the elements that will definitely stay. Yeah, okay. Here's a question from Mitch, who's at the AFC Franco, who says, do you believe some of these players are looking good, for example, Ceballos, because of no pressure or no crowds? Ceballos is a perfect example, as he was struggling a little bit pre-lockdown. Also, Mustafi, who has now looked our best centre-back. Thinking face, thinking face, thinking face. Food for thought, or am I waffling? Well, no, I mean, it's something we talked about before, and something that... um does affect players. You know, certain players cope better than others with the pressure of live crowds and live performance. I mean, I'm not sure... I think there are enough other factors contributing to Sabas' improvement that I'm not sure I put it down to that. Although we have talked about Arteta kind of coaching him in-game mm. to an extent, which he probably wouldn't have heard, <laughs> to be honest, in yeah. a full Emirates stadium. Uh, as for Mustafi... So he, he, he's a case where I could imagine, for example, that he could benefit from there not being a, fat, a crowd. Like the intake of breath every time the ball goes near him probably isn't conducive to confident performances. The only thing I would say is I think his improvement actually predates the lockdown. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. I think it's a soft factor. But what I do or what did occur to me last night was maybe halfway through that second half when Leicester were when Leicester were on top you know and and maybe as a home side what you're lacking is that moment or that sort of you know the way something can happen and the crowd can really get behind and they can they can sort of start to yeah. i don't mean yeah. inspire the team but but it's sort of it creates um, an energy within the stadium that the team respond to, you know, that, that there's a level of you're watching the opposition. There's a level of frustration. And let's say uh, I'm thinking of the moment where Kieran Tierney went in and tried to make a tackle. He slid in. I think he got penalized. If the Emirates goes crazy there because Leicester get a free kick because one of our players has been committed, maybe that's something that transmits itself to the players and, and the performance you know, it, it sort of changes the momentum a little bit. I know it's impossible to say, um, you know, with any um, authority or with data or anything like that, that, that it could have an impact, but but you can feel how it might. My, my opinion is it absolutely has an impact. I mean, I think the idea that a crowd doesn't influence a game, to me, that's absurd. And, and maybe it's because my other job is that I go out in front of crowds and yeah. I deal with crowds and I understand like how that chemistry can affect everything. And Lee Dixon said something interesting on Handbreak Off the other week where he said if he felt that his team were under the cosh, 
he would do something on the field to ignite the crowd. Like he would get in an argument with somebody mm. or square up to someone or have a go at the referee or, you know, win himself a free kick because it could just give an injection of energy to a team or impetus to a team. I think it absolutely makes a difference. And I, that's a really good point about the second half that I hadn't considered. And actually, to an extent, about the second half against Norwich where they were, you know, significantly better in the, the first period of the second half and it kind of took Arteta's water break talk for Arsenal to get back in control of the game and uh, you know I, I do think that maybe had the crowd been there sort of 55 minutes 60 minutes in I don't know maybe it could have been different so that's a really good point in terms of the individuals there's not an obvious example to me yet of someone who's massively thrived without there being a crowd there um, but I don't doubt that it's a factor in, in some people's performances mm. okay um, let's have a look for a question. In fact, it's your question, isn't it? No, it's mine. It's yours, but I can bang one out if you want. If bang you're... one out because I'm not prepared for this eventuality. Okay, I know we're a bit tight for time today, so we're going to maybe just do a couple of quick ones. Uh, would Shaka left back instead of Kalasinac work, says Joe, who's at Red and White 11 on Twitter. He's played there before. It would still allow him a lot of possession in deep left midfield and would allow a ball carrier into our midfield, i.e. Willock. Uh, yeah, I've seen that theory mooted. I mean, do I think he'd be significantly worse than Kalasinac there? No. <laughs> and Kalasinac was was all right last night. You know, I'm not mm. saying that to be critical, but I think Shaka could do that job. I'm not sure that it's in on the card, simply because Arteta's kind of talked up Shaka in midfield so much that I don't see him taking him out of there. Um I think that he's probably looking at Pablo Marie as someone who can play that position whenever he's eventually fit again mm. as a left-sided centre-half. But Shaka uh, uh, in an emergency, but I'm not in a, a hurry to take Shaka out of the midfield. What about you? I think if we had slightly more experienced options in midfield for that particular role, I yeah, might be yeah. more inclined to go with it. Ultimately, though, I think it is, it would be very much a, a sticking plaster move. You know, I, I think Shaka is very, very good on the ball and I can see why and how he might bring qualities to that position. It was interesting, wasn't it, when Arteta first took over, he was sort of playing that kind of a role um, by dropping mm -hmm. in there from Absolutely. midfield uh, when we were playing with, with a back four. Um, but as a... As a starting system, I'm not sure that's something that I would go with. I feel like we need Xhaka in midfield. I think performances and results since he came back into midfield, having missed the first couple of games after the restart, have been much improved. And I think he, he is a he's a fairly important part of that, whether people like Xhaka or not. It's it's pretty difficult to argue against um, the improvement that we've seen in, in uh, the results and the overall performances, which are, you know, again, it's, uh, we've got to point out, are not perfect. There's still a long way to go. There are things which we can improve uh, and all that kind of stuff. But I just feel like we are a better side with Shaka in midfield than without Shaka in midfield. And I don't know that even if Shaka gives you more pa passing range than Kalasinac, um, which, 
you know, isn't difficult. I think on the ball, he's he's. <laughs> yeah, I'm not being funny or no, facetious. Yeah. I think he is extremely limited as a as a footballer. I think if you send him down the left hand side, he's quite happy. You know, bomb down, get your head down, run down the left, put a cross in. There was one great run actually yesterday, where he took the ball through from he got that position. Quite a lot. He did. Yeah. He did very well. It was a great run. I think he played it outside to Tierney, who who had a little bit of ru- uh, rush of blood to the head with his cross and overhit it. But it was a really nice play from Kalasinac. But I think that's where that's where he's effective. If you're looking to build play from a back three, I just feel like he's a, he's a real weak link there. So while I see the the logic in putting a player in there who can do more with the ball, I think we need that player who is Xhaka in midfield. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, what about this? This, I mean, I don't know. It's hypothetical, so you might hate it. Mm. We'll try. Uh, Yol Romero says, with the news in Lekeep of Juventus potentially being interested in Lacazette on a swap deal basis, who at Juve would you look to swap for? Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone's expecting. I would have to look at the Juventus squad and see. I mean, look, um, if we're looking for a midfield player... Rabiot is there. He's somebody who we've had a long... goal? Yeah. Holy shit. Holy shit. That's some goal. I mean, wow. To carry the ball that far, he must have been so knackered at the end of it. And then (laughs) to boot it into the top corner. He's a bigger Um, guy than I thought. Has he, like, had a bit of... He's always been Has he had some, like, growth jizz injected in him and stuff? (laughs) You know what I mean? It does seem that way. (laughs) It does seem that way. Um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, he he would be on the list, I guess. I'm trying to think who else is. I mean, we don't need Wojciech back, even though my heart wants Wojciech him. Wojciech Buffon. Uh, there are some players we're just not going to get as well. Uh, Higuain, no. Um, I mean, yeah, Bentancur, the Uruguayan midfielder. I could see that as a possibility, given that we need players in the middle of the park. He's sort of 23. He's the right kind of age. Juventus has got a lot of very good players who are quite old, like Matuidi, Kadira, Ronaldo, Bonucci, you know, mm. um, Chiellini. Does ben They've got Tank- a few guys in their 30s. Oh, yeah. He is good, actually. Um, I keep... Um to keep Lucas Torreira nice and happy as well, a little Uruguayan mate. They little can have Uruguayan their Uruguayan mate for him. Exactly. Have, their t- have their tea together and stuff. It's an incredibly old squad at Juve. When you look at it, I mean, even yeah. someone like Quadrado is thirty-two, Higuain thirty-two, it's yeah, Ronaldo thirty-five, Kadira thirty-three, Matuidi thirty-three. They've got some younger players, but they've got a lot of experience. Yeah, they're going to have to change the age profile uh, of the squad, you would imagine. Do they so want Ganduzi probably... as well while they're at it? Yeah, there's 21. Nice little <laughs> addition to their squad. I mean, it does seem like all the interest, and this is a story in Lequipe, wasn't it, that Juventus are interested, Atletico Madrid are interested, Inter Milan are interested. And we spoke on the last podcast, didn't we, about um, what Arteta had said about Lacazette when it comes to a new contract. It wasn't yes, let's get him signed up to a new contract. It was more, let's have a chat with him and see what he, you know, how he feels and what he sees for himself in the last few years of his career because he is 29 now. So, you know, he, he's not a player whose legs are getting any fresher, as we can see on the pitch. So he might fancy a change. Uh, he might fancy a change. So, um, Absolutely. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, 
it's difficult to know exactly what Mikel Arteta wants. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm willing to kind of go with, with what he thinks this summer. Uh, rather than have particularly strong opinions on on what we need to do in the transfer market, I mean, I think we can all see that there are some gaps in the squad and and places that need to be improved. But um, well, let's hope it looks like his business. Let's put it like that, that. is that is key. Yes, uh, that is absolutely. And I think key. there are all certain telltale signs that will enable us to know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there might be. Um, I'm trying to think what else we've got in terms of questions. There was one about Ozil, but I just can't. I just can't do it. Yeah, I saw that and I just thought, oh, man. I mean, it's posted just on Twitter just now, by the way. I don't know if you saw highlights from the 2019-20 season. Right. Um, It's a short video. But I... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I can't get into that. I can't, no. Um, we can talk about Genduzi. I'm happy to talk about Genduzi because that's relatively novel, you know, <laughs> compared to the Ursul thing. Yeah, but I mean, what's new? What's new here about Genduzi where, you know, he's had this meeting with, with Arteta and, and Edu and didn't impress? Mm. Um, that's yeah. the only thing that's new is that we know that he's not training with the group, really, and that he had the opportunity to express you know, what the club were looking for him to express and he didn't and also hasn't. You know, the ball is very much in his court. Yeah. He's not come back. Yeah, like we said earlier, this is a player who at a a critical time of the season is deliberately making himself unavailable to the manager. And I Mm -hmm. think that reflects far more on him than the discipline that uh, Mikel Arteta and the club are trying to instill. Um, and people can obviously make up their own minds whether they like Induzi or don't like Induzi. I think this kind of behaviour uh, from a player is is uh, f- pretty much unacceptable. You know, uh, it's not like he has to sort of get in his hands and knees and be supplicant and you know beg for mercy. There are things that are expected of him. He's not willing to do that. He's being petulant. He's being intransigent. Um, and I think. You know, if we're going back to <clears throat> Sabayos and what we're talking about with Danny Sabayos and, and Mikel Arteta looking to build a squad of players that he can trust and believe in and have faith in, Genduzi is basically behaving in a way which is the complete opposite of that. So Yeah. And we we made this point in part one, but the, the responses to adversity of Sabayos and Genduzi quite neatly contrast, don't they? And they're standing with Mikel Arteta at this point, contrast Mm. too. Mm. Look, we better leave it there because I know we are tight for time today. So uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, Sorry we don't have a win for you, but still an interesting game to look back on. Uh, There is, of course, the small matter of the North London derby on Sunday. What a big game that is going to be. It really, really is. It feels like things are being amped up. I mean, Mourinho... (laughs) Mourinho being pissed off about a Facebook post by uh, Arsenal is as classic Mourinho as it can get. To be honest, I know. what do you I think know. about it? what? Did, did you laugh at that, or were you? Yeah, you love to see that sort of thing, don't you? I mean, it's great. Mm. It's great. Really- I, I listen. I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday, but it's uh, it's our first derby at this new stadium, isn't it? And it is. So it'd be great to christen it with a win. And I just I want to see that Mourinho post match interview. 
Please give it to me, Arsenal. Yes, come on, Arsenal, do your thing. We will discuss that game on Monday on the Arsecast Extra, but before that, we will have a regular Arsecast for you on Friday, so make sure you join us for that. As ever, thanks for being here, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.